This is the Asian Racing Report podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Lejeune. On September the 10th, the new Hong Kong season for 2023-24 will get underway at Sha Tin, the first of 88 meetings for the season ahead. Over the next three episodes, we'll delve into the key angles surrounding the trainers, the jockeys and the horses, and the key to success. My colleague Michael Cox will join me to identify the principal factors and vital considerations as we embark on another campaign. Today's focus is the trainers. Let's jump straight into it then, Michael. First season trainers this year at uh, Sha Tin. We've got uh, Cody Mo, who's come through the, the local ranks, of course, last season assistant trainer to Tony Cruz, and Mark Newnham, who's um, moved from his base in Sydney. Um, cut of the chase. Who has the best first season? I think. Who trains more winners this year? Well, usually I would favour the, uh, favor the, the local trainer. They hit the ground running faster traditionally. They're more accustomed to the, the the style, and they do better with transfer horses. They're not so focused on um, bringing horses from overseas. They're usually focused on bringing horses from their former stable and through the connections they've made through working as an assistant trainer. And Cody Mose worked as an assistant trainer for Tony Cruz. But in this case, I'm going to go with Mark Newnham um, as finishing higher out of the two first season trainers. And based on the fact, two two factors. Firstly, he found out he would be licensed in March ahead of Cody Moe, who only found out in June. So he's had a little bit of a head start when it comes to sourcing horses, um, working out a system. He'll be based at the Olympic stable, which is uh, there are four trainers, four stable blocks. There are three trainers there at the moment uh, based at one end of the stables. If you think about where the Sha 10,000-metre start is, um, that is where Mark Newnham's base will be, down near uh, Michael Chang and Douglas White. Mark's had a good chance to figure out the logistics of training out of there and work out some systems based there. But I also really love the, the, the look of his stable, the structure of it, the balance between unraced horses and transfers, which is usually the strength of a local trainer. But Mark looks like he's got a few horses that could be up and running early. And Mark's been a regular visitor to Hong Kong as well and had strong connections with the region even before he made the transfer with, with owners um, sending him horses in Sydney. Yeah, one thing I really like about Mark and his style coming to Hong Kong is that he isn't a mega stable trainer. So he's he's not one of these guys that are, at the moment we look at in Australia, the stables that are dominating, Kieran Maher and David Eustace, um, Annabelle Neesham and, of course, Chris Waller, big stables with systems. Mark around 50 to oh, 60 horses at any one time, really um, trying to get the most out of every horse. And that's Hong Kong. There's a limit on stable numbers. So 70 is the most. And also that familiarity with the system in Hong Kong, Mark's not trying to be bigger than the system. He's not trying to impose himself on the system. He knows that he's got to work with what he's got and try and win races with the horses that he's got. And I see him doing that. I think Jamie Richards last year came in and, really uh, took his time, had a look at the place. And that's a common thing for an expat trainer to do. They've got a little while before they have to get moving. But I think Mark, just from looking at the trials and uh, conversations that I've had with him, uh, wants to hit the ground running early with a few of these transfers that he's got. And we've seen a couple of good ones at the trials already. All right. We'll come back to Jamie Richards um, 
in another segment, but he was, it was a very measured approach from Jamie last year. It's a, a definite um, attack from him as to be um, start very slowly, give all the horses. He got a lot of horses off the transfer. We'll say so we'll come back to that in due course. But um, you can make draw those parallels between the two of them, I suppose, last season and this season with those expectations. Um, if he is going to get up and running quickly, who are these horses that we're looking at that you think might be able to deliver for him? Um, to be on Diamond is a really interesting transfer to start with. And you might think he's he's maxed out on his rating, but he's a seven-year-old, comes from Danny Shum, won a group three, and that got him up to a mark of 119. But if you look at the horses, he came back at the start of last season, finished second to California Spangle, second to Romantic Warrior in group twos. That's not a handicap. That's a... It's a set weights and penalties raise. That's good form. He didn't run badly through the season, and now he's down to close to 100. He's one of those horses that's always in those big races, always around the money without getting his head in front. But he did win the ladies' purse a couple of seasons ago, and that's a, a big early season target, and that would really put him on the map quite quickly to win a race like that. And, I mean, if he, can, if he, can, if he loses a couple of points, he's on 102. This is uh, he's in striking range of he could find himself in a in a class two race, but I, I think Mark's got bigger um, sort of targets for him than that. And uh, horse looks good, um, and but it's it's not just those high profile horses. What what you really need from a um, a new trainer standpoint is a few of these uh, lower rated handicappers and and just a few of them already at the trials there. Um, a horse called Right Honourable. You might think, well, he's nine. He's won six of 66. He's coming off a season where he's won nothing. But he gets a pretty favourable re-handicap in the off-season and drops into Class 5 for the first time. Zach Purton's been aboard in a trial. He's very forward. I don't think the market will miss him. I don't think I'm giving much away there when he comes time to race. But that's the sort of horse that, yeah, maybe not in two years. Well, obviously he won't be around in two years' time racing in Hong Kong because compulsory retirement's 10. But they're the type of horses that could win two or three straight to put Mark up in his name up in lights, get him in the media. Um, Mission Bravo, the Mission Horses, uh, Mark's had a relationship with with those owners before and he brings a, a six-year-old over whose rating is down on 48. And just one to watch from the trials recently, massive talent uh, from Ben O'Young. It only had a single start last season. It's a four-year-old. I think it might be one to watch early. Mm. Nicely picked up Keep You Warm as well. as another horse who's dropping down the handicap and can quite often, if you get the horse at the right time, can then uh, find that winning thread uh, once more. And the jockeys will be interesting to keep an eye on as well as to if you see Zed Purton um, early on next to the Newnham Runners. That's yeah, a good abs- indicator. Absolutely. It's uh, interesting that Zach um, getting around that stable early. Mm. All right, what about Cody Moe then? Um, so long-time assistant to Tony Cruz. He'll bring a lot of knowledge from there. And he's also bringing a lot of uh, owners and horses, I'd imagine, uh, through the off-season as well. Yeah, there's a, there's quite a few um, off-season transfers there from the Tony Cruz stable and some notable owners as well, the owner of Romantic Lau, uh, the Circuit Horses, Circuit 10, Circuit 9. These are big money owners that mm. don't mind spending money on imports. It's interesting, Cody's, uh, the structure of the stable, very similar to Mark's. Um, Mark has 35 horses, 15 unraced. Uh, Cody has 36 horses and 14 unraced. So very similar structure. Um, I think if Cody, it'll be interesting to see style. He comes from uh, Tony Cruz. He spent the most time with with Tony. Tony Cruz is uh, runners very forward. They race forward in the in the front part of the field and they're forward in their fitness as well. So 
I, I think Cody will probably replicate that style, be very similar, and uh, I, I think you'll have a, a, a big first season as well. In terms of his personality, um, Cody, what do we know about him on that? Because the, the assistant trainers, you'll often see them on race day, they're a shadow behind the trainers, just soaking up all the knowledge and, and dealing with the jockeys and um, the mafus and the horses themselves. But we haven't heard or seen much of Cody actually in the, in the spotlight himself in the past. Well, actually, he spent a bit of time traveling with Tony Cruz's horses. So I guess that's given us some insight into how he works. He's very hands-on, I, I think. Um, some of the trainers, if we look at going back last year to one of the, the first the first season trainers that we'll talk about soon, Pierre Ung, who is coming at it from a perspective of a, he's a son of a trainer, he's gone overseas and studied, worked under other trainers. I think Cody's probably the flip side of that from a local trainer. He's someone who's worked in the system, came up through the ranks as a track work rider, uh, been on their back a lot. Um, and has travelled with horses. I think what we see from Cody is more of a, a hands-on style. Interesting that both these first-season trainers both ride track work, which is a, a real rarity these days in in Hong Kong. All right, well, there you go. That's the first-season uh, trainers uh, for this year coming up. Stick around, though. Up next, it's last year's freshman trainers. That's Jamie Richards and Pierre we're looking at second season trainers there for the uh, the new season ahead in uh, Hong Kong. And they, of course, are Pierre Ong and Jamie Richards. Finished pretty close together in last year's table. 41 to uh, to Pierre. It was 35 winners to Jamie after a very slow start. Um, how do you look back on that first season? How do you think the, the scorecard or the report card looked? I think, uh, well, contrasting styles. Let's talk about the, the contrasting styles between them that uh, Jamie really slow, deliberately slow uh, start and then finishing really fast. And then Pierre traditionally, like most local trainers, if we spoke about earlier, hitting the ground running with a bunch of transfer wins and making a name for himself. Um, look, Pierre finished ahead of Jamie. I think they both get a get an A plus really. And I think it's a, a huge win for the the licensing committee to go with two guys that are, are, are pretty young and probably jump the queue especially in the case of Pierre you know there's there's guys ahead of him that have been in the system longer that have been a, applying for longer and uh Pierre at 40 years of age is um is given a go and he's shown that it was a, a right choice and and Jamie even even younger at just 34 uh, as an expat trainer coming to Hong Kong at that stage, um, did remarkably well in his first season. You know, um, 35 wins, but 10% strike rate, 15% strike rate at Happy Valley. Um, both looking to improve on that, as most trainers do coming into their second seasons. Mm. Well, the, the parallel, I suppose, in recent years is is Frankie Law in terms of a, a trainer's had a great breakout first season and then has managed to to build on that and he's now a genuine title contender year on year. So how in this, you know, the potentially difficult second season, what are the keys, what are the, the sort of the things they're looking for, horses and quality, I suppose, as much as anything else, but how do they keep backing that up? And let's start with Pierre. Well, I guess with Pierre, the, the, the balance is how do you retool? How do you restructure the stable? I think Frankie's a, a complete outlier. He trained 65 winners in his first season. He couldn't improve on that. Trained the same number of in the second season. It's very hard to go up from such a a, a big first campaign. 
uh, I think more of the same um, from Pierre. You know, he's. Uh, I, I think that he fell into his style very quickly, whereas Jamie more trying to find his way. Yeah. Um, I noticed through the off season he's picked up. Uh, he already started last year with Duke Y and Glorious Dragon two good horses that can take you into these good races picked up through the off season as well super wealthy from david hayes's uh, stable so he's a um certainly a horse that's going to have him there on the big days and that's important i think for the owners to see you on the on the big days in the big races as well super wealthy could be a good horse from this year yeah and and pierre has shown a, a a willingness to travel over to dubai glorious dragon as well he he wants to be over overseas and be seen and and he knows how important that is it's that younger mentality um, that maybe we haven't seen from some of the older Hong Kong trainers. Jamie Richards um, got a very important uh, horse transfer through the off-season as well with Richard Gibson uh, retiring at the back of the end of last year. Of course, the uh, the glamour horse to come out of his yard was Wellington and Jamie Richards has been selected as his new trainer. Yeah, and came into his stable on August 7. Important horse. You talk about being put up there front and centre. Wellington hasn't hasn't run badly. He ran, no. he ran poorly at Royal Ascot. But he's not, you know, he's not too old. Is he seven this season? He's 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 coming out off a season where basically he ran his race. He's a couple of other horses, Lucky Swainess, um, most notably, have turned up on the scene, and are, and are just better than him. They've got a length or two on him, um, as it stood. But maybe that trip away to Royal Ascot, a change of scenery, you know. Um, Richard was obvious. Richard Gibson, the former trainer who's now departed Hong Kong and gone back to England, um, was obviously getting the horse to run consistently well. But you know, sometimes a, a change in scenery or a change, and like that trip away might have done Willington some good. And now he comes to a different stable. So Jamie Richards trains at the Olympic stables, the opposite end of Chartin. He already won't know himself. He's, yeah. he's gone overseas. Now he trains out. He, now he's in a different stable down the other end of the track. And now Jamie's sent him to Chungfa, which is the mainland training centre this week. So he's getting a different look and he's going to be um, trained under a different style, um, different feed. Uh, look. I would see Wellington as a really dangerous fresh horse. His, his fresh record. Uh, well, he, he beat Lucky Swainess last season under handicap conditions. Beat him fair and square. Uh, Lucky Swainess after that went to another level. Although when he ran into trouble in December in the sprint, Wellington was the one that was good enough and better than the rest to win again. So he is, and he was champion sprinter two years ago. I don't think he's lost too much um, from that. And as you say, if they can just, whatever it might be, change of scenery, change of routine, and who knows what happens with Lucky Swainish. He's come off a big campaign last year, you know, if he comes back as good as he was. But uh, Wellington, I think, certainly deserves his place in all the big races again. Yeah, Lucky Swainess will be in absolutely everything. It'll be a pretty hard horse to avoid for Wellington. But look, Let's see. Maybe Jamie thinks uh, overseas targets with, with Wellington again. I know it didn't work out at Royal Ascot, but, yeah, it's a, a great horse to, to take him into this second season. So is it about consolidation to a certain extent for these trials? They'll obviously want to improve. They want to win better races and win more races. But is the second season really about you've had a great breakout year now you've got to just cement that and just let everyone know that... There was no fluke about that as such. You just hit the, hit the same sort of numbers. I'm not sure what Jamie Richard's own expectations are. He's not someone who's going to 
talk about winning championships or no. or make big bold statements as other trainers might do in Hong Kong, which is fair enough. But my expectations are that he should improve on what he has done. Given the trajectory of the, the late season run that he went on, his record at Happy Valley is a really good sign. It shows that he is watching the races closely and he's placing his horse as well. Yeah. Um, that not every horse handles Happy Valley. Uh, you've got to get things right tactically. You've got to get the right horse in the right race. Um, and his strike rate of 15% there is 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 great. Um, but looking at Jamie's stable, what he's been able to do to rebuild his stable, looking at some statistics, um, we did a statistical analysis, just who has the lowest average number of starters per horse in their stable. Jamie, by far and away, the lowest. We've just seven Hong Kong starts per horse in his stable compared to an average of 12.6 starts per horse in Hong Kong. Now, he's got 66 horses in his stable, but 24 of them unraced. That's the highest of, uh, equal highest of any trainer. That, that, to me, speaks like 24 unraced horses out of 66 speaks to a, a, a stable with upside that should follow the same trajectory again. And look, I, I think Jamie could be the big improver this season. I think my expectations on what he did in the back half of last season, I could see him challenging for a top five spot. Right, now we can talk about pressure. Everyone feels it in some shape or form, but who's under the most pressure, do you think, as far as the trainers are concerned for the season ahead? If we just pluck one name out, I think the name everyone's looking at this season is David Hayes. I think it's uh, pretty obvious. I mean, it sounds harsh when you look at he was 13th in the, the table. It's just a little bit lower than mid-table. Two-time champion, though, in Hong Kong. He's come back, though. It's about expectation and, and where you sit and about momentum as well and, and just trends. I think it's a bit of a turning point for David Hayes this year. This is his fourth season back. In his second stint, he's had uh, returns of 32, 36 and 34 winners. But last season, just a 6% strike rate. And the, the signs aren't great. He, he needs to turn things around. He's lost a few horses to, to transfers um, to other stables. Some of those horses have done well. That's always um, a bit of a body blow. Uh, obviously, the, the previous success is there. Um, I think... David Hayes' own expectations are that he would do better than this with the with the support that he's had. And in fact, after his uh, first season, he expected to be challenging for a, for a championship. So I think it's a, a one of two ways situation here, you know. Um, but you look at his stable, fifty two down to fifty two horses, an average of fourteen point six runs per horse, only thirteen unraced horses. Where's the upside? I, I just think. Uh, David Hayes probably needs some results early and 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 uh, to put himself back on the map and, and maybe um, some horses to progress into the to the upper grades. You say he probably wouldn't be happy with his own results. And I suppose that would apply to, 
to most people, they're always trying to do better. But you can actually look at the table and break it into, you know, quite neat little groups. You like the, the trainers with 50 and above, that's Danny Shum going up. And then below that, you've got sort of Manfred Mann down to Chris So and the sort of the 30 to 40 bracket. You know, Douglas White, Jamie Richards, Pierre Ung are all in that bracket as well. But as you say, for someone that came back to Hong Kong, um, as a big name signing, I mean, essentially he was... John's more John Moore's replacement. To that's right. Extent. That's right. I mean, that's the expectation people had. He walked in on the back of John Moore leaving, received a few of those um, high-profile horses, and look. If you ask David Hayes, then it wasn't his expectation. He didn't say he wanted to finish thirteenth. Mm. He wanted to challenge for championships, and maybe things are more difficult now than when he trained before. And it'd be interesting to see if, if, if uh, we get a chance to talk to him this season, if that's been the case, whether things have, have been more challenging uh, for him. But I think the competition is, is far greater when you look above him on the, on the table. Like if I could spin it to like who else is under pressure, I'd say all expat trainers, all foreign trainers. Well, that seems to be a general changing trend over the last couple of years. Um, so if you look at the was it the top five, the top ten, is now it's 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 more than the 50-50 splits in the local trainers' favour, which we haven't really seen in the past. And we've got, you know, Francis Loy. Um, yes, he's had Golden 60, but Golden 60 hasn't had him just challenging for championships. It's it's really elevated him and he's he's delivered as well with the winners. We've got Frankie Law who's come on board as well. Danny Shum's been very consistent, Ricky Yu as well with the championship just a couple of years ago. So there really has been a, a, a changing of the guard to a certain extent in general terms as well. Yeah. Like you look at Francis Law as a, a perfect example of since Golden Sixties come on the scene in the last four seasons, he's trained 63, 61, 55, and 67 winners. That's out of nowhere. Mm. That's after two decades of finishing mid-table or below. But I think it's a general trend, and it, and it isn't just about Golden 60. It's about Frankie Law, Ricky Yu, also finishing the top five last season. Uh, and if you look at some of the other trainers that are up there as well, Casper Found's always up there in the top five, who's considered he, he's a foreigner technically. Yeah. But really, his entire adulthood and training has taken place in Hong Kong. He knows the system. He can speak some Cantonese. He can relate to owners. He's not um, trying to adapt to the system. He's been part of it his whole training career. And I think that's the key. And uh, to this, the success of the local trainers, um, also, you know, if you ask some of the, the, the former trainers, um, Tony Millard, had an interesting conversation with him. And Tony Millard is obviously has left this season. He, he isn't there anymore. And he was very strong in, in the opinion that the, the local trainers have just improved. They've got better um, through working within other stables. Frankie Law has been the example of that, a long-time assistant working under John Moore, working under John Size gets his own gig, brings a bit of both styles to his stable, and now uh, he, he's up there. He's a perennial contender. It's pretty obvious. He does a bit of everything. He trains the PPGs, the progressive young horses, and brings them through the ranks. But he also goes out and sources um, imports. He's not afraid to go and um, push an owner into to buying him a high-rated horse. So I think that expat trainers in general – um, 
are up against it as this sort of big push comes and, and, and the, the confidence in local trainers grows. Final segment then to close off, uh, Michael, the uh, million dollar question, or it was the $161 million question last year, because how much prize money John Size uh, won um, in last campaign, who will be champion trainer this year? Well, John Size is always the one to beat. He's won 12 titles out of 22 seasons, five of the last eight, second in the last two years before last season's title. Hard to go against him. He seems to have just mastered Chung Fa when the, that is the mainland training centre um, just over the border in Guangdong. He has, you know, he got a bit of a head start there with, along with a, a few other trainers in terms of first use of that facility. Um, but there's no surprise that he really made it work for him. And I think the continuity there for him is is hard to beat. There was, it, It's a very hard thing to go from a big performance in Hong Kong, though, to another season. And although Size has done a, a really good job, I think, of, of rebuilding his stable this year, he has 20 unraced horses in his stable. It looks like a young group, but it's pretty top-heavy, I would say. That's the thing about winning a championship and why it's so hard to repeat is that horses win their races and progress up through the ratings, and then it's harder to win. They're in the same races. It's, it can be even harder to to find races for them. He has 15 horses rated 80 and above John size. So a lot of his horses and a lot of those group horses from last year, now like you look at um, last year's most improved horse, Beauty Eternal, well, now it's a group one horse. It, it races in the races that are scheduled for it. So there'll be no just lifting lift off through the through the grades there for that horse i mean and sometimes a beauty eternal doesn't appear mm. you know it's uh so i think look i'm gonna look away from john size for the my championship winner i'm gonna go for a guy who finished outside the top five last season uh casper founds he's won four championships before i think what the and 51 seasons for him last season and sixth is not a bad return but I, two parts, I think he'll be disappointed with that. I think he expects more of himself. But also sometimes a 51-win season, especially for a trainer like Casper, can be the precursor to an, a big season the following season, just as John Size might struggle to replicate his success because his horses are up in the grades. Well, maybe Casper's horses has maybe kept his powder dry coming in very slow into last season. Um yeah, he has 19 unraced horses. He has 10 horses rated 80 and above. So there's room there for upside. Um, some good imports. Look, and also just the fact that he'll want it. Casper Founds, uh, he lost his title of King of the Valley last year to Francis Loy. You can be sure he'll want that back. And he's such a a, a, a vibe trainer, if that's the way, way to put it. It's about energy for Casper and it's about engagement and wanting it. And I think he wants that championship. He wants a fifth championship, and I think that counts for a lot. John Size was chased home last year by Francis Lloyd, Frankie Law, and Ricky Yu. They were the next three hot on his um, heels. There was a bit of a margin, but Frankie Law, champion the season before, and is a perennial um, title contender um, now. And um, do you see any of them? And Ricky Yu is a recent champion as well. Do you see any of them um, making that next step? Um, I think they're right there. I think that 
Ricky Yu and Fran- um, Frankie Law, it's pretty clear that they're the new normal is that they're top five. Yeah. Right. Francis Lawyer is the new guy on the scene where he's like taken, he took a big step four seasons ago, challenged, he was thereabouts when Ricky Yu won his, his championship. But I think Francis Lawyer, there's a, there's a few young horses in each of those stables. Ricky Yu, really slow end to last season. And um, maybe that is um, a, a step towards, you know, a, a, a fast start this season. Let's see. But I think all three of those trainers are there to say this isn't a flash in a pan performance for, um, for Francis Loy, Frankie Law and Ricky Yu. I think they'll be all thereabouts this season. I just think the improver, Casper Founds, and as going back to the start of the podcast, um, talking about Jamie Richards, I think Jamie Richards can challenge for a top five spot. Mm. But John Size would still be favourite, wouldn't he, to be champion once more, do you think? I think so. I think yeah. if you had a market up, I think John Size is his consistency. You know, you look at those those stats, what he does every season. I, I don't, you know, he has suffered some drop-offs before after a big season, but I, I don't see it happening. And he always starts slow as well, doesn't he? Absolutely. That's, the, the, that's what we always say, you don't look out until sort of late October when they start to, and then all of a sudden he starts jumping up the Absolutely, the he starts climbing, and, and oh, I think he'll be, yeah, I'm not predicting a big drop-off from John Size. He is the one to beat, but I'm going to go with Casper Founds as champion. Okay, and Jamie Richards, top five um, as well. Should be an exciting season ahead. Uh, looking forward to it. Over the next uh, couple of episodes, we'll be looking at the um, the jockeys and also the horses for the season ahead. Some big names and some up-and-comers as well. Looking forward to it. All right, keep following us uh, on all the social channels and like and subscribe as well. That was the Asian Racing Report podcast for this week. And as I said before, we'll be back for the next two episodes, still looking at Hong Kong with the jockeys and then the horses to follow.